The Dialogue with Clement Mania-Taylor. It's not just another roundtable discussion. Let's walk the talk on 702. 12 minutes after 11 o'clock on our Thursday Dialogue this morning, we're discussing the process of mediation in domestic violence matters. There are some organizations that feel that even though mediation is supposed to be a voluntary process, at some magistrate offices, it's become the norm rather than the exception to mediate, especially when dealing with domestic violent uh, cases, which makes you wonder if this method is used by court officials to manage case flow management or maybe to reduce the, these disputes that are appearing before the court. So maybe the courts are limited in their ability to solve the problem of domestic violence. I want to hear what your thoughts are about the mediation process because um, on the 23rd of Jan this year, the Department of Justice issued a directive to court administration to desist from utilizing mediation in domestic violence matters, which it deems as malpractice. And the department said that it, they feel that this hinders the realization of the objectives that are outlined in the Domestic Violence um, Act. But as I said earlier, there are other people who feel this, in fact, is a process that helps you know sometimes law doesn't take into account the social issues so mediation even in gbv sometimes is the only solution because men tend to be the breadwinner so if you make him go away you take the provider and you plunge the entire family into abject poverty and some people feel you know judges see that mediation as the only and sad solution in most um, of these cases um, because that leaves the, the victim sometimes that leaves the victim wondering what am I going to do um, I'm going to be in the margins of poverty so what are your thoughts when it comes to uh, mediation whether it's done by other NGOs it's facilitated differently or it's as a result of a directive from the court you can give us a call or send us your whatsapp voice note to join this conversation advocate praise Kambula is the head of the promotion of the rights of vulnerable groups unit at the Department of Justice She's joining us for this chat. Advocate, thank you for making time for us. Good morning. Good morning, Kate. Uh, good morning to your, to your listeners, and thanks for the invitation. Lisa Vetten is um, a gender activist and researcher in the Faculty of Humanities at the University of Johannesburg. Lisa, thanks for also joining. Hi. Hi, Clement, and good morning to your listeners and all the others. Mm, and we also have uh, Lindsay um, Hansen, who is the Executive Director for Lawyers Against Abuse. Lindsay? Thank you for making time. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. And let's also say good morning to Sheena Yonka, who is a dispute resolution practitioner and human rights activist at ADR, which is an alternative dispute resolution network, SA, and the Access to Justice Association of South Africa. Sheena, good morning. Good morning, Clement. Thank you so much for having me. Advocate Kambula, I'll start with you. When you issued this directive as the Department of Justice, what is it that you picked up in the magistrate's court? Oh, thank you. You know, we received, um, let me say that I, I received um, a report that was coming from um, one of uh, our director legal in, in the Western Cape, uh, letting me here at the national office that there is actually one court in, in, in Western Cape, that is the Weinberg Court, that has a court manager 
who is making referrals um, of uh, cases of domestic violence, those who are coming to court to make applications for protection order to a particular organization Mm -hmm. for mediation services. So we had then to quickly intervene and issue this internal communication it's only just that we don't know how it leaked out because it is some it's a document it's an internal communication meant for our court administration of officials mm-hmm. so you've sent yeah. this directive to these court officials you're calling this malpractice will you be taking action against officials who have facilitated this process i have requested the the provincial head uh, to to conduct an investigation on this matter. Because I would say that, that the reason for us, all right, as a department, to issue this and to say that we, we cannot we cannot have a situation of a referral because this was a referral. It's not like our 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 court officials are actually, you know, undertaking these services because we don't have that expertise in our court space. All right. So it is because of the fact that it is um, the domestic violence act does not provide for such services, does not require our court clerks to to provide those services. Mm. And more so, even the act itself, it does not have a provision that requires then the magistrate to make referral for, mm. it, for, for mediation. The only thing that we have that is in section five of this act, it says that to a magistrate, when you are considering the application for the protection order and there is a child involved, all right, so you may refer the child for i mean you may refer this matter for investigation by a family advocate you you refer it to a family advocate to investigate the welfare Mm -hmm. and the best interest of a child all right and also then in circumstances where during the proceedings then the magistrate learns that the child in question if there's a child involved there's a child Mm -hmm. who is in need of care and protection makes then that referral to a social worker it says nothing about mediators all right so that's that's also our biggest problem as a department to say that no 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 we cannot have our officials okay. engaging in such yeah lisa how widespread is this use of mediation in domestic violence cases and and not only by by court officials cuz cuz i said earlier to the listeners that the thing about mediation is that it can lead to secondary trauma for the victims especially when they don't want to participate you don't want to be seen to be trading uh, justice for harmony because sometimes these mediation processes seem to imply that the victims shared the responsibility for the unlawful conduct uh, that has been perpetrated so how widespread is it and what's the impact on the victims of domestic violence yes lisa you hear me yes yes go ahead okay so i think i'll start with the reservations and why people have concerns about mediation now, the thing about domestic violence is that you're talking about a relationship that is marked by power imbalances. It is not a relationship between people who are equal. It's a relationship in which you have one party who is dominant and uses abuse and violence in order to get their own way, and another party who is often frightened and intimidated and gives in because if they don't, the consequences are going to be so severe. So mediation often assumes that you're dealing with two parties who are equal. So that's your very first problem. 
is you are not dealing with a situation where people are equal. That's your first problem. The second is that you're dealing with a problem of violence and abuse. You're not dealing with a conflict. So if you're thinking that it's, you're dealing with conflict, you're fundamentally misunderstanding the nature of domestic violence. And what this means in sessions with mediation, if you treat people like they're equal, is that firstly, the complainant, applicant, victim will not feel they can be honest and speak frankly and say what's going on in the relationship because they fear the repercussions of what's going to happen when they leave. And they also, because there is a power imbalance, they may give up a lot of what they're entitled to because they have been intimidated. And I'll give you a very simple example. Many years ago, doing some training with um, people who are doing mediation of exactly what I'm talking about, where the mediation agreement was husband will stop hitting wife, mm. and in return, she will make sure that she stops going out with her friends and is home by 5 o'clock every day. Mm. So there, all you've seen is that the mediator, number one, it's made it her fault because she's not at home and she and shows she her friends. And number two, it's asking her to give up her friendships, to give up her freedom of movement in order not to get hit. Yeah. So all that agreement did was reinforce the dynamics in abusive relationship. Yeah. So that's why it's a problem. Um, and it is dangerous. You can, have such, you can have people die because when they've come to court looking for protection, not to, as you said, harmony. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of how widespread, I mean, in 2022, colleagues and I wrote to the Law Reform Commission to ask that this be investigated. Because it is happening informally, but we don't know how widespread it is. And the other thing you also have to look at is it's not just happening in the civil court, but it is also happening in the criminal court. The NPA has appointed what they call mediation prosecutors. And there are cases I've identified in the courts where mediation prosecutors are mediating criminal matters of domestic violence. How widespread this is, we don't know. And I don't know. And the guidelines that are used to guide mediation prosecutors are not available. Mm. So it is very important that the Law Reform Commission look at this and put in place very clear guidelines around yeah. when you may or may not use mediation. Because it's happening informally. I've been to courts and seen the posters up mm -hmm. uh, in the, the halls of the court. There it is, it is individuals or companies or whoever offering the mediation. But I don't quite know what the relationship mm. is between whether the clerks and magistrates are also referring. Yeah, but the thing is, it's happening, it needs to be regulated. And what are the guidelines? I'll get Advocate Kambula um, to just respond to that if, if, if she's aware of it um, in a moment. But Sheena, as an organization that believes in some form of, of this mediation process, why do you think it works? And, and in what form do you think it works? Clement, uh, we teach, practice, and advocate specifically for victim-centric restorative justice processes in domestic violence, sexual violence, and other cases where, where courts cannot effectively give access to justice. Now, in domestic violence cases, the first thing to understand is we do not use classical facilitative mediation in these processes. These are, these are expertly trained uh, restorative justice practitioners in the law, in power imbalances, in child protection, and in victim protection. The perpetrator and the victim are never placed around the same table together. In the vast majority of these matters, there's already a protection order in place or an interim protection and order in place. So this is an adjunct process to the court process or an alternative process where the courts have not been willing to entertain any form of remedy for the victim. So this is an exceptionally important 
um, p- process for access to justice for very many people who otherwise would not have access to justice. But where it, it comes apart and what was happening in, in Weinberg was, first of all, I believe, and, and this is just from secondhand reports, that people were being coerced into mediation, that victims and perpetrators were being put in the same room around the same table, which is absolutely horrendous, and that these, these processes were uh, conducted by ordinary, uh, classically trained facilitative mediators who would never have the kind of skills and experience to effectively bring about remedial, reparative and protective um, outcomes in these kind of things. We work collaboratively with mental health and, and medical practitioners to bring about holistic um, problem solving in the lives of victims, including to address social problems that 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 might otherwise result in them being thrust into abject poverty overnight, as you mentioned in the beginning. So this is this is more an alternative facilitated process. It's not it's not classic mediation with an inert in the middle um, facilitator because impartiality in these circumstances can and does contribute to mm-hmm. unjust mm-hmm. outcomes and serious injury and death yeah yeah lindsay um from from your perspective from your perspective then lindsay is is this a method used by court officials to manage these you know the case flows and and to perhaps even reduce the disputes before appearing um in court yeah, as Lisa noted, I think it's really difficult to understand really the scope of the problem because and how widespread it is because there really it isn't something that's been looked at specifically and it's been something that's being used inconsistently both within courts as well as across provinces. So I think it's really difficult to answer that question. In terms of our experience, because our organization provides direct services to victims of violence, including assisting victims with protection order application processes. Mm. Now, granted, that experience is limited to the three courts in which we work work. But we have had an experience. So it's not happening widespread, at least in the courts where we work for mm-hmm. our clients. But again, that's only going to represent a small, small fraction. Um, but we have even in that small fraction, we have had one experience where a client was actually it wasn't a court mandated mediation process. But essentially what had happened in that case is that the court ordered that the parties must consult with the psychologist before the magistrate would rule on the protection order application. Mm. But they weren't actually referred to a specific organization. They weren't given any guidance of any kind. And they were just sent out with this instruction and then told to appear back at the court. And I think it was a month later. And so they came back to our, or our client came back to the organization to give us this feedback. And then we tried to support the client to comply with the court's instruction in terms of helping them find a psychologist that would be able to provide the court the report that they thought they needed in order to actually get a ruling on their protection order application. And long story short, it was a six-month process where our organization then had to, we went to, I think, three or four different organizations trying to find a psychologist that would be able to assist us with this court order um, and, and only to find out that then they went back to court and then explained to the magistrate how much difficulty they were having. And then the magistrate said, oh, it doesn't have to be a psychologist. It can be a social worker. It can be, right? So it just wasn't a clear process at all. And at the end of the day, six months later, they still weren't able to get this, you know, psychologist report and then the mat 
then granted the final order in any case. But again, that was a six-month process where there was very little insight into what they were actually meant to do. And our organization even approached the senior magistrate to say, is this a normal practice? What should be happening? And the senior magistrate explained to us, well, typically what happens is, no, they get referred to a specific organization. However, it was not incorrect to just yeah. also refer to just an independent practitioner. So, again, this caused our clients a lot of anxiety throughout this entire process, just not having, wanting to comply with this court directive, but, again, not being yeah. given any sort of guidance in the process. Do, do you think, or in your experience, that these victims often refrain from even pursuing those criminal cases because there's this mediation process? Well, sorry, so I was speaking to our experience on the civil side when a client mm. is pursuing a protection order application. But yeah. if I were, we also provide support in criminal cases of domestic violence assault as well. And it happens often. So there are often, especially with domestic violence cases, um, where these cases are diverted and mediation is part of that diversion mm. program. Um, and one of the challenges is, is as been highlighted by the others on this call, um, is that often that process is not initiated by the victim or by our client. It's mm. something that they feel pressured into, they feel coerced, they may be being pressured by the perpetrator, by the perpetrator's family, and it gets increasingly more complex, as you've noted, when there are other social considerations, especially when the, the victim is financially dependent on um, the perpetrator in these instances. Yeah. So I think there it's, it's a very complex question, but it is happening um, more so, it's happening commonly, regularly in criminal matters. Alright, it's 11.30. The Dialogue with Clement Maniatela. It's not just another roundtable discussion. Let's walk the talk on 702. So, to mediate or not to mediate in domestic violence cases, we are discussing mediation uh, processes um, in domestic violence matters with Advocate uh, Kambula, Lindsay Hansen, Lisa Vettin and Sheena Uh, I'm going to go to your calls and WhatsApps in a moment. Advocate Kambula, I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond uh, to Lisa's observation in the courts. She says that she's often seen posters about mediation prosecutors. Um, Are you aware of those? And if you are, what are are the guidelines for for these prosecutors? I'm, I'm, I'm certainly unaware of those posters in our courts. And I would just also like to say that as a Department of Justice, we don't have the legal responsibility to manage the performance of the of the prosecutors. But I am chairing a structure that um, that monitors the implementation of the Domestic Violence Act, which the prosecution is part of. And now they are finalizing their their policy directives. So, with what Lisa has said, I will ensure that. We, we have this excluded because, you know, the, the act is, is deliberately silent on mediation services for a number of reasons. One mentioned by, by, um, by, um, by, by Lisa Vetten and also that we don't have a scientific proof that they can, up these, the mediation services are actually successful. And, 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 and we don't even know whether during the mediation service process it's quite difficult for a person to get into the mind of an abuser and say that this person now is rehabilitated. So it has an effect of 
of sort of surrendering the victim back to be captured in a vicious cycle of violence where he might ultimately die. So we don't want to do that. And secondly, the, the mediation services in South Africa are not yet regulated. There is, there, we don't have a code of, of practice, the rules and regulations for, for mediation. So now you have the pocket of mediation done in this way and in that way. And we, we cannot, we cannot endorse that as a department. After I have heard of what happened in Weinberg, then I wrote then to the to the South African Law Reform Commission requesting them to investigate this matter and see, you know, how we can regulate the mediation services. And even then, you I mean we have to be uh, to, to to be very cautious and tread carefully if we have to introduce in the, in the mediation services in, 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 in domestic violence matters and not if we do, then we have to ensure that there's a protection order involved and there are certain rules and regulations that are in place to ensure that there is success in this process. Mm. I want to play a WhatsApp voice note and then I'll, I'll take a quick call as well. Hi, Clement and Tim Zippo here. This mediation thing is a scam, Clement. Uh, it's used by the prosecutor's and um, the the other party to try and make the case legally disappear. So it doesn't only apply to GBV. Uh, I've had an instance where I laid a charge against someone, and um, the 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 prosecutors uh, told the court that the case was sent to mediation or sent for mediation, and and that mediation never happened. So um, there is something untowards there, and I'm, I'm happy that um, the Department of Justice has intervened, uh, especially when it comes to GBV. Mm, yeah. Uh, Sheena, how do you make these, this process safe? Well, first of all, in domestic violence matters, as I said earlier, the vast majority of victims come to us with a protection order already in place. If there isn't a protection order already in place, then part of the process will be to facilitate the gaining of protection order. So then, then we go about assessing what is, what is best for either the protection of the victim or the exit from the environment or the exit of the perpetrator from the environment. Bearing in mind that if uh, criminal justice is reverted to immediately in a situation of domestic violence, we often find families that are thrust into abject poverty, whereas a process like ours could have facilitated the exit of the perpetrator by agreement with the protection order in place and uh, the attending to of any social problems like drug or alcohol abuse that is contributing to the, to the violence. But we are very, very careful about the physical safety of the, of the victim and any children involved first. That's the first thing that we attend to, and therefore we might facilitate the gaining of a domestic violence protection order. Mm. But what we do in terms of reparations, protection, and uh, attending to social issues that might be impacting on the situation using a collaborative process with other 
disciplines goes above and beyond what the Domestic Violence uh, Act is capable of. Mm. And the Domestic Violence Act, by the way, is kind of a hybrid civil criminal process that might, it's, it's, so it actually works well in conjunction with an alternative process that is there to now help the victim to get to protection, to get to safety, to get to reparations. Um, so, so the practitioners that we train largely have legal backgrounds and that are highly trained and skilled in victim and child protection and in reparative methods around situations like this. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to say, you asked the question of, is mediation deterring people from going to get civil and criminal remedies? Mm-hmm. And often, often it's the opposite. Often victims have approached the courts and have uh, found no help at all and then come to us in desperation. So often, often it's, a, it's a case, particularly in sexual violence cases, where the NPA has declined to, um, to, to, to prosecute. These are very, very highly complex matters because they're behind closed door crimes. And if, if a victim's protection lies on the other side of having to prove that the perpetrator did what he or she said that they did to, to him or her or them, then they are often left, first of all, with no justice whatsoever and having to go back into environments to share spaces with their abusers. Mm. Many of those kind of individuals come to us and we can then, by agreement, put measures in place, including lifelong protection orders, including other other measures, reparative measures, financial reparative measures, and all kinds of things. And and these these are such important mm. methods for access to justice yeah. that they cannot be ignored. We do have to concentrate on regulation and how practitioners that, that do this work are trained. That yeah. is very, very important. The, the, this work cannot be done by classically trained facilitated mediators. Yeah. And most of the time, this mediation, Clement, is used also in the police stations. When they are pushing this case to the court, this investigating officer will be the one who will be pushing that these people, the couple, must go through in, in, in mediation. Even today, uh, I, have a, I have a father who is still abusing his wife, and the wife also is abusing uh, uh, my father. They are doing the same thing. This mediation never helped them. But mm. one thing for sure, they are going to kill each other. Case in car. Mm, thank you for mm. that. Yo, uh, Lisa, I want to get your thoughts on, uh, I've got two messages I've received from um, some people who feel that in fact it, it does work and, and I want to get your reflections on that. Um, Anonymous says, Clement, sometimes the law doesn't take into account the social issues. Mediation in GBV sometimes is the only solution because men tend to be the breadwinner. If you take him away, mm. you can take the provider and you plunge an entire family into abject poverty. I do feel sometimes... I do understand sometimes why some judges see mediation as the only and, and sad solution in most GBV um, cases. It's not like we have a solid welfare system that provides um, for the victim. That woman, um, the, many women live in the margins of poverty. Um, so if a husband beats a wife, you say she must leave. Leave and go where? With what? Yeah. And then another message from Anonymous says, um, Hi Clement, what we sometimes miss about mediation is that 
It is not an arbitration or a judgment. It is an agreement arrived at by parties who themselves fashion out an agreement between themselves in a process in which the mediator promotes an agreement between the conflicting parties in a way that they, the parties in conflict, own the process, which usually ends in a win-win outcome where parties give and take and the mediator's job is to nudge the parties towards that mutually agreed solution where both or more parties feel that each one has gained something from the agreement. It is the opposite of a winner-takes-all solution, which is why it is a win-win solution. Your reflections on, on these statements? I think we have to look about, we have to look at how to help people in a way that is nuanced and that it sometimes can offer a range of different options that are tailored to people's circumstances. But we always have to do that with the safety of the victim uppermost. So I mean your last, the last message you read, domestic violence is not a conflict. It's not a dispute over what happened. It is violence. Now, there are certain kinds of family disputes, and I've seen this, you know, from doing research, looking at protection orders. I'll give you an example that stuck in my mind. A brother and a sister who are fighting over the ownership of a radio, for example. Clearly, this, it had, this conflict had become very upsetting for them to the extent that somebody had gone to court thinking the only way they're going to solve this problem is by obtaining protection order. Now, that's the kind of family conflict that shouldn't really be dealt with through the protection order system. It should be that clearly those two people are very unhappy and they're in very difficult circumstances and they need assistance. But I'm not sure the protection order is the right answer under those circumstances. So there, something like mediation could be very helpful. But I also want to go back to the distinction that Sheena was drawing between mediation and restorative justice and transformative justice. These are different things. Mediation, as Sheena was pointing out, is between... is um, conducted by somebody who sees themselves as an impartial uh, arbitrator set, um, helping you to work through a dispute. You can't take that approach in dealing with domestic violence. And this, a restorative justice approach, for instance, one of the, one of the conditions that you often have will be in place before somebody can go through a restorative justice process is that they actually have to take responsibility for the behavior. It's not a soft option. People often think, and I think other risks sometimes if you say, okay, you can have a prison sentence or you can go to mediation, obviously you're going to jump for mediation because it's like a soft option. It isn't. If you do it properly and you're doing restorative justice, where you have to start off by acknowledging that what you did caused harm mm-hmm. and that you have to make a sincere effort in order to find ways to repair that harm. So there is a place for it and you do have, I mean, and the, the, the first condition has to be that the victim wants this. They cannot be coerced into it and told, well, and this is what sometimes happens in court and you see the defense attorney do this, well, if you don't agree to mediation or X, Y, and Z, I'm going to put you under such terrible cross-examination, you won't know what hit you, and I will drag this case on for months. And I mean, if you get a threat like that, well, obviously you're going to look like you are choosing mediation when actually you've been bullied into it. Mm. So I think if you look at places like Missouri, they have set out what I think are quite helpful guidelines for the court that guide when you can use these sorts of um, processes. So I think if we looked at something like that, and somebody did choose this, they did want this, because there are also some individuals who do actually want to preserve the relationship with their partner. They, and so if we want to take them seriously and say we are offering a victim-centered approach and they are there voluntarily actively choosing this, 
then I think we have to hear what they say and offer them um, options that will help them get there, but always keeping safety uppermost. So what we want to develop, I think, is a kind of palette of options that can suit different kinds of needs, but that are very carefully thought through um, their pitfalls, their strengths, and that are regulated. Mm. And then that might be what we're looking for rather than an either or. Yeah. And, and who, who would regulate it? And Lindsay, let, let me also ask you this question. Who would be uh, the, the right institution or body to regulate that process of mediation? And do you believe, because what Sheena says is that the, sometimes victims come to them because they've been failed um, uh, by the courts. So they want now that process of mediation because th- they've just been frustrated um, by the court system. Yeah, so I I guess I'd start there, is that, I mean, we do have clients that do come to us, and they don't want, in the first instance, they don't want to pursue a legal remedy. They just want the abuse to stop. Um, and they do want to preserve their relationship for whatever reason. And so and then, and that's what they ask us for, right? So they just say, can somebody go talk to him? Can somebody help us sort this out? And and that's where it is something that is driven by the victim. It is something that would be instituted. And, and as, as Lisa said, in, in certain circumstances, and that's something that may be appropriate if done well. Um, and so I, I agree with everything that has been said so far. Um, I also agree with Sheena's point that sometimes then the opposite happens where people then seek out mediation after having been failed by the justice system. I mean, a number of our clients that are trying to pursue uh, accountability through a domestic violence assault criminal charge, then they actually, at a certain point, they withdraw the case and they withdraw the case and then they opt for the mediation because their case has been postponed and postponed and postponed and they just don't see it actually ending at they don't see an end in sight and they'd like some closure and to be able to move on with their lives and so i think that there are a lot of that all of these issues are quite intertwined um in terms of the appropriate body to try and make sure that there's some sort of oversight and monitoring and 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 guidelines so that where it is practiced it's practiced effectively and it's practiced as lisa pointed out with the victim safety uppermost um i i unfortunately i don't have an answer to that question that falls outside of the scope of our experience I'm sure mm. that Sheena or Lisa would be able to give you better guidance on that point. Mm. And Advocate uh, Kambula, do you think there's space to allow for this process, perhaps under um, a, a, a body that would regulate, or must it be completely ruled out? So in instances where we say uh, perhaps there are positive aspects of, of these mediations, wh- which body would be responsible for even regulating? It is the, as I said earlier on, that I wrote to the South African Law Reform Commission to conduct an investigation on this issue, right? Because of that starting point uh, in any process of developing a legislation or amending a legislation. But I would like just to say one thing, that as you know that we have just amended the Domestic Violence Act, mm. Section 2B of the, of the of Domestic Violence Act provides for a mandatory reporting in these matters. All right. In cases, it says that when you have the knowledge of a domestic violence act or belief or a reasonable suspicion that a child or a person with mental disability, I mean, a person with disabilities or an older person is exposed to a domestic violence situation when you, an adult person in South Africa, you have a legal obligation to make, to report. You make that report to the social worker or to the police. And failure to do that amounts to a crime. So as I'm listening to this, I'm wondering now, 
those organizations that are doing the mediation, are they reporting these matters to the social workers or to the police? Because if they do, if they don't do that, they are committing a crime. When they are maybe doing mediations that involve children, persons, uh, persons with disabilities, and older persons. And another thing is, all right, uh, we were talking about the children. What is the situation now when children are involved? And 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 as I said earlier on, that we do have Section Five of the Domestic Violence Act that cases that caters for that. All right, where it says. The magistrate must make a referral to a family advocate, not to a mediator, all right? And secondly, just check that you investigate the welfare and the best interest of a child. And if there is a child who is in need of care or any protection, then the referral is made to the social worker. It's not to say that the act is actually silent and is ignoring that. And also, they, we have also section, there's also a section, a cap, a section 2 capital A that places an obligation on functionaries, all right, to say that you need to, to report domestic violence matter uh, to the police or social worker to complete a report and conduct a risk assessment. And with all of that, what we are saying is that every person in South Africa who is an other person has a legal obligation legal obligation to end domestic violence in South Africa, all right? And, 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 and with us, you know, as, as a department, we wanted this provision to the mandatory reporting to, to go across all, 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 all ages of um, uh, victims and the types of, domis- of, of victims mm. of domestic violence. Mm. But we could not succeed. But, and we narrowed it and we could not succeed in Parliament and because of the NGOs that came against us in Parliament. Mm. So we narrowed it now to children, to persons with disabilities and older persons. So they need to know that if they are doing mediation that involves children, they are committing yeah. a crime. A punishable offense if they don't do that reporting. Sheena, do you do you report these to the police when you do mediation, especially when it comes to children? Clemens, as I said, in domestic and sexual violence cases, there's undoubtedly always a protection order already in place or an interim protection order already in place, or if the parties have come to us having been failed by the police, the domestic violence court or the NPA, they've come to us, that, that report has already been made. In other cases, if, if none of that has been done, we will undoubtedly go and help them to help to facilitate the gaining of a domestic violence uh, a, a, a protection order in those cases. So, so in, in every single case that we deal with, the authorities have already been approached or we are facilitating it. We also very often will appoint a children's court for oversight if there are children involved in the situation. Yeah. I want to go to some WhatsApp voice notes now. Um, I mean, WhatsApp texts on 0727021702. Anonymous says, um, please, uh, Clement, the mediation, uh, mediation in divorce um, although it's meant to save people from costly litigation as well and can be helpful if done with a good mediator, it can also be very challenging for the same reasons you're discussing today. Divorce mediation in South Africa is no longer just encouraged. It has been mandated since mediation rule uh, 41A of the High Court came into effect in March 2020. It's so tricky. 
but can also be traumatic as well. Another person on the WhatsApp line says, Clement, with all due respect, I do not think mediation works for physical violence in the home. The abuser is a total bully. He or she needs to help, needs help, but she is, oh, oh, but there is not much hope for the relationship in my opinion. Another one says that argument about breadwinners needing to be protected is shocking. It's very similar uh, to cases of statutory rape. When an adult impregnates an underage girl and then because money is a problem, financial arrangements are made between the families involved, uh, often to the detriment of the victim. Um, another one says, Clement, I googled the directive on mediation from the Department of Justice using various keywords and nothing came up. You'd think that you'd be shouting from the rooftops so that everybody knows. The argument of breadwinners suggests that one can pay their way out of abuse. Surely there could be other ways of keeping the victim from suffering any financial consequences or dealing with abuse, such as making the abuser make payments such as child support um, mechanisms. Um, and then another one says, Clement, there can be no mediation for sexual abuse. I'm sorry. That's what Celeste says there uh, on the WhatsApp line. That's how we're going to wrap up this um, Thursday dialogue. Thank you to Advocate uh, Praise Kambula, who's the head of the Promotion of the Rights of Vulnerable Groups Unit at the Department of Justice. Thanks to Lisa Vetten, gender activist and researcher in the Faculty of Humanities at the University of Johannesburg, uh, Sheena Yonka, who's the dispute resolution practitioner and human rights activist at ADR, and Lindsay Henson, who's the executive director for lawyers um, against um, abuse. Lisa, how can uh, people get a hold of you guys before I let you go? Yes, Lisa? All right, may have lost Lisa there. Sheena, uh, is there a way people can, can get a hold of you? Um, they can WhatsApp me on 084 084- Three double seven, double three four zero, or if they Google ADR Network SA, they will be able to find our website. Yeah, and Lindsay. Yes, yeah, so our website is Lawyers Against Abuse. So if you Google Lawyers Against Abuse or it's just www.lva.org.za and then through that has all of our contact details as well. Wonderful. Thank you for all of you for making time for us. It's three minutes before 12.